Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. I feel really sorry for Liam, to be honest, because I think he's really proven himself to be ready. You know, what he's done in Super Formula this year, and, you know, I've been at most of the Super Formula races, so I've seen it firsthand, and having raced in Super Formula myself, knowing how hard that category is, he's done an incredible job. Sometimes we see, I'm, I'm thinking of people like Stoffel van Dorn and that, who do really well, maybe even win the championship in F2. They're mm. billed as the next big thing. But when they get to Formula 1, I know sometimes the team isn't performing or whatever, but generally sometimes when they get to Formula 1, it just kind of falls apart. Is it just that there's so much of a jump? If you lock up and you go into somebody, <laughs> yeah. then that's on you. Yeah, well, that's what I thought, yeah. <laughs> I think it's as simple as that. Hello everybody, welcome back to the On Track GP podcast. It's Colin with you again here today, and I'm joined once again by Mr. Richard Bradley. How are you, Richard? Not too bad, mate. How about yourself? Uh, I've been better. <laughs> last three days have been just overnight for Japan. Yeah, you kind of inadvertently jet-lagged yourself by the looks of yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. I never, I don't, I've never experienced jet-lag before, but <laughs> no, know, I it just, certainly feels bad. <laughs> yeah, I decided to uh, to watch the race replays rather than get up. It was my, um, I think, I've got one more weekend off for the rest of the year after uh after this weekend so i, I decided to enjoy it appropriately oh. <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna stop complaining about my weekends working <laughs> then so but uh yeah so let's kick into it so um let's be let's talk about before we we go to all the action in japan you were quite busy over the week weren't you yeah i've been uh been pretty busy myself um last week ended up driving uh nissan r90 ck which is uh it's a, a from a category called Group C, which was the mainstay of Le Mans cars from uh, the early 80s until the early 90s. And Group C was a, a completely bonkers idea, first of all. And like all great bonkers idea in motorsport, it unfortunately got killed off because it became too expensive. Uh, but effectively, you know, all these big manufacturers came in, Mercedes, Nissan, Mazda, Toyota, uh, Porsche, uh, many, many others. And um, they came up with these complete rocket ships. And the regulations were mainly controlled by fuel uh, fuel capacity so you could do whatever you wanted as long as the fuel capacity was correct i might be wrong there but this is as far as i understand it and um the cars were putting out like over a thousand horsepower in qualifying mode with these huge engines and huge turbos um so i was testing uh the the r90 it qualified pole at le mans in 1990 but in group c at that period they had qualifying cars so they had cars which were just designed for a one-lap special, engines turned up to the maximum, oh, and then whoa. they just park that car, and then they just whack out another car for the race, <laughs> um, which is, yeah, now you understand why the category, so <laughs> yeah, it, it disappeared. But um, So the car I was driving was the car which started the race from pole position. Uh, it had a three and a half litre V8 twin turbo and we were just mapping the turbos and stuff like that. So we're still not on high boost and we're getting circa 750, 800 horsepower out of it. But Whoa. these these guys were, you know, it, it's it's it still goes back to the F1 traits of those the, the turbo era as well. They they have no power steering, H pattern gearboxes, no t uh, no traction control, no ABS. And God, these things are are completely wild. So no, I had a, a friend of mine's bought one, and uh, I'm just doing the the turbo mapping and some setup work for him. So um, no, I had a really really cool time with that. Yeah, 
and I was watching your onboards on on social media. If you haven't seen them, check them out. There's something special. Yeah, it was really really cool. And and you feel it as well. Like every time you put your right foot down, you you can never get used to that much power. <laughs> it's like it, if you if we went flat out in third gear, you'll get wheel spin, no problem. Well over a hundred miles an hour. It's uh, yeah, they they were they were special special cars. But yeah, like as I said, everything when it becomes that special in motorsport generally it does die for being too expensive. And yeah, that's unfortunate what happened with Group C. It was quite an era in sports car racing when you said Group C. The first thing I thought was. Um, the Sober C11 and the, oh, yeah. the Mazda the 7, 797B 787B, 787B yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the, uh, with the rotary the Wankel engine um, which got banned for being you know it won Le Mans once and then they, they banned it but <laughs> you know the, the, the cars what was cool about them is I've driven the C11 as well and you know you've got the Nissan had a three and a half litre twin turbo and the turbos in the Nissan when they when they come in it feels like it's like a whole body experience. You can't, you just get feel like you're being thrown forward. But with the Merc, it's got a five and a half liter V8 twin turbo. And the turbos in that come in a much more serene way, but it's actually got more overall power. Mm. And the way, well, I say more overall power, it has, um, it has a slightly wider band with the power. The, the, the Nissans, when they went to full boost, um, were particularly quick in the straight. But either way, it's just a difference in how the car generates its lap time. Stuff like that is just fascinating. Yeah, amazing. Well, um, let's, let's move on to what happened over the weekend in Japan. Before we got on track, or before we got qualifying, should I say, there was the news that came out that uh, AlphaTauri had signed Ricardo and Sonoda. Yeah, like, yeah. What, what's your thoughts on that, especially given how, how good Liam Lawson has been in recent races? Yeah, I, I feel... I feel really sorry for Liam, to be honest, because I think he's really proven himself to be ready. You know, what he's done in Super Formula this year, and, you know, I've been at most of the Super Formula races, so I've seen it firsthand, and having raced in Super Formula myself, knowing how hard that category is, he's done an incredible job. Um, and, you know, well, obviously coming into Formula One with with, with no nowhere near as much prep as he would like because of Ricardo's incident in, um, in Zanvoort. I think he's done an incredible job. Um, as I said before in one of the previous episodes, I had doubts about him for Singapore just from the physical side, and he absolutely excelled there. And he showed, you know, he's starting to show that he's a completely ready Formula One driver. So I would feel very hard done by, um, to be honest, if I was him. And uh, and I think he's been quite controlled in some of the stuff he said in the press. I mean, he's, he's come out and he said that he's obviously not delighted about it, but he's kind of held back there. And in a bit of a statement at the weekend, he beat Sonoda as well. Um, yeah, again. Uh, again. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, I feel a bit hard done by f- for him. But I, I have a feeling, and it wouldn't surprise me, that because he has done so well, there could be other opportunities opening up. I mean, again, Logan Sargent didn't have a good weekend. We, that seat is coming under question marks, as we know. Um, and so maybe Red Bull will be like, okay, we'll find a way to stick Lawson there. Or Williams might just go, look, we have a proven entity in Liam Lawson now. Can we find a way to put him in our car? Yeah. And that brings us on nicely to Logan Sargent once again. Uh, a, quite a hefty impact in uh, in qualifying for him. Not, not, not a good weekend for him, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, he, he just looks completely void of all confidence now mm. um you know you when a driver gets into that downward spiral it's like when you have a when you have a goalkeeper who keeps conceding silly goals or a striker who's who's in a big goal drought you you find it really hard to see a way out for him now and the the, the crashes just keep on coming and as a driver to get yourself out of that mode or, or that 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 spiral is really tricky. Um, I feel, you know, and, and Logan is Logan is a good driver. He proved that in Formula 2. Don't forget Liam Lawson and Logan Sargent were teammates in Formula 2 last year and, um, you know, were very, very evenly matched. And so it's just a confidence thing and whatever's happening in that environment is just not suiting him at the minute. Um, 
but you know he's running out of time to fix it and obviously we've seen that Dragovic is uh, is in discussions with Williams as well and Dragovic comes with some pretty hefty backing um, obviously Liam Lawson is now on the market as people know and is a proven quantity um, and I'm sure Red Bull will be very interested to put him in uh, in, in a car Um so I, I I think I think the right you know unless something miraculous happens the writing's almost on the wall for Logan. Well, why why is it for these drivers? You know, we see them like you said, Sargent was quite good in F two last year. Sometimes we see I'm I'm thinking of people like Stoffel van Dorn and mm. that who do really well, maybe even win the championship in F two. Their mm. build is the next big thing. But when they get to Formula One, I know sometimes the team isn't performing or whatever. But generally, sometimes when they get to Formula One, it just kind of falls apart. Is it just that there's so much of a jump? It it is a big jump, and and Formula Two, you know, again having worked in that category in Formula Three, they're very very particular particular cars, and it's a particular style, and it's a very very unique style, and it's not that relatable to uh, to Formula One. I mean, uh, I've I've spoken to. Um, uh, to Liam about this and he said that the Super Formula car is much better for getting prepared for Formula 1 than a Formula 2 car is because of the oh, tyre okay. situation in Formula 2 and it's a very particular style and that's why quite often in Formula 2 it's very rare to see a rookie win in his first year because they have to adapt to uh, the complexities of, of, of that particular championship with the extreme degradation that the tyre has you know the um, the engines are quite a, a tricky engine to drive as well with massive power um so it's it's a very very it's a very very different animal to being in a formula one car and the level also is incredibly high everybody in formula one is a winner i mean we make we make jokes about pay drivers but everyone on that grid is a good driver and logan Sargent not only did he prove it in f2 but he proved it in formula three as well with what he did with a uh with a team which was was you know never winning anything he won races with that car yeah. um and and i think it just it's just a bit. It's a big jump, and I think people are underestimating also just how good Alex Albon is. Yeah, for sure. But I think that um, it's all about getting your confidence back. We saw that with Albon at the Red Bull. He looked completely devoid of confidence. But now you look at him in a Williams, and we're all saying, right, he's next in line for one of the big seats when they come up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, just before we move away from Logan Sargent, one one of the things that uh, I read last night, you said after the race, I found very interesting, and I wanted to ask your opinion on it. Was um, do you remember near enough to start the race, he had the collision with Bottas because he locked up into the uh, hairpin. Mm. He Supposedly, he said that, uh, well, Bottas should have known to avoid me locking up or to avoid my mistake. Like As, as a racing driver yourself, would if you were in that position, would you try and make advantage of somebody's mistake like that or would you hold back? What uh, way would you think? No, I, I think that... Um if you lock up and you go into somebody, <laughs> yeah. then that's on you. Yeah, well, that's what I, yeah. <laughs> I think it's as simple as that. Yeah. Um, you, should, you never, you never go into a corner. And I, having raced at Suzuka many, many times, I've and had battles into that corner and everything from Formula Three cars to GT cars and every, Super Formula itself. You never go into a corner once you're committed in the braking zone, thinking, "Okay, I need to be ready in case this guy locks up behind me." So I think that is really trying to clutch at straws, and that is the sort of sign from a man who is under quite a lot of pressure. Yeah, for sure. If I could ask you before before we move on, if you had one driver to put in that or in that seat, or if you could make a prediction, 
Who's it going to be? Liam Lawson, no question. Well, in terms of one driver I could put in, I'd put in Liam Lawson, no question about it. You Mm. know, he's he's, he's 100% proven he could do the job. Now, will he get the seat? That's a very different story. And I think Felipe Dragovic is in a in a very very good position for that. And he's already he's already come out this weekend that he's been having negotiations with them for quite some time. And I know he was in quite strong negotiations with uh, with some other teams this year as well before other circumstances happened. So he he is ready to he's ready to go. And I think that's the most likely thing. But I personally would like to see Liam Lawson get the chance. Yeah. But yeah, saying definitely. that, bear in mind Felipe Dragovic and Liam Lawson were both in Formula Two last year, and Dragovic absolutely dominated that championship did, he won yeah. the championship before uh, before the last round so you know there's uh, I, I don't I don't think it would be it would be bad if, if Lawson didn't find a seat because he's clearly proven that he deserves it but Dragovic is definitely not a mug you know he's, he's proven himself to be very good no, you just said that. I remember Djokovic last year winning, I think it was Spain, he won the, the feature race and the sprint race. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, it, that's, yes, that's he, <laughs> I mean, you know, as I said, I was in Formula 2 most of last year and he was standout. He was mm. absolutely standout compared to everybody. And he made, the thing that was really classy about it was that he made it look easy at times. You know, he, he won when he needed to win and he, he just chilled out when he needed to chill out. And then sometimes he just drove off into the distance. He was supremely good last year. And then when he was with teammates with Joe at Virtuosi, he gave Joe a very serious run for his money. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think Dragovic is, uh, is an exciting prospect as well. Cool. Well, when speaking about champions, can't, can't not mention Red Bull, of course, sixth constructors championship. And after the worries of Singapore, they're well and truly back with their domination and Max Verstappen. Well, yeah, Max Verstappen's back with his domination. Yeah, <laughs> let's, let's, let's get that Max clear. In the Red Bull. <laughs> yeah, I mean Perez is is, is is looks like he's entering that downward spiral that he was in earlier in the season. Mm-hmm. Except now it's coming in the forms of collisions. And you know uh, there was the Christian Horner interview. I didn't actually see this, but I got told about it on TV. And he was very very brutal about how Perez's weekend was, uh, and justifiably so. Yeah. Um, you know when you look at what Max was able to do. Um, it looks like he's just become completely devoid of confidence again. And okay, the question goes, yeah, okay, if Perez finishes second in the Drivers' Championship, that's exactly what you want your two drivers to do. But how long can he stay there when he's clearly underperforming in such a way? Um, Don't get me wrong, we all understand that Max is is generational. There's no question about that. Uh, But it's it's too far behind now you know as i said whenever you have these world class drivers in in the absolute form you need a solid rear gunner who can take over when you need it you know with schumacher you had eddie irvine when schumacher broke his leg eddie irvine was able to take hackenden to the last round with hackenden you always had coulthard with uh, hamilton you always had bottas don't forget that 100% q3 record he had with mercedes yeah. you always need a rear gunner just in case something happens and let's pretend that let's pretend that red bull or honda have technical woes and they retire a lot of times for with, with Max's car or whatever happens. Perez is not going to consistently be that guy who can rack up those points. Yeah. And you have to start asking questions when Max is so far ahead. You need a solid rear gunner who's, you know, they, they those drivers who I just mentioned would always be in the top four every single time, pretty much. You know, okay, they'd always have, a, there'd be a bad day, but invariably they'd always be there. At the minute, you know, Perez has, uh, Every man and his dog wants that seat uh, in, in, in any category in motorsport. I could tell you all the sports car drivers want it, all the indie car drivers want it. And he's just not doing it at the minute. And, no. and you, you know, this is a second big spiral that he's had this year. Um, so again, hopefully he'll improve by the end of the season. But with Ricardo now being confirmed at AlphaTauri, it pretty much means that Perez will be at Red Bull next year um, or on the face of it, who knows, in Formula One. But no, it's not, um, not good enough. Yeah. 
What did you make of this collision with Kevin Magnussen? It was, uh, I thought initially uh, when, I, when I watched him yesterday in the watch gong, I thought, you know, oh yeah, well, he was always going to go for Magnussen to, to shut the door. But the more I watched it over yesterday, I kind of thought that was a bit of a... Desperation. Yeah. Desperation. Exactly. Yeah. I think that was it. I think that uh, frustration came in. I mm. think that Carlos Sainz, um, you know, if you read his interview after the race, he said that it was very difficult to overtake. Um, and also, for whatever reason, Suzuka is normally incredibly high grip. Um, for whatever reason, this year it wasn't. Um, and, you know, science said that because of that, you had to be half a second plus quicker than the car in front or up to a second quicker than the car in front to be able to easily overtake. So I detect a little bit of frustration coming in for Perez, especially we know the Haas is not the best on degradation. No. And uh, he probably thought he wanted to get by that car sooner rather than later. Uh, and it was always weird because with that hairpin, I mean, Suzuka is, it's, TV doesn't do it justice. That place is so narrow. I remember when I, uh, I had my first go at Suzuka, it was wet in Formula 3. And I came out of the second corner and I looked at the S's and I said in my helmet, oh my Lord, like this is very, very intimidating. And it's extremely narrow. And that hairpin wasn't somewhere where you would ordinarily overtake or even think about overtaking uh, in the past. And ever since Kobayashi did his uh, did his race there in the Toyota, I think it was, it was the first one, and, um, you know, started overtaking people there. It's become fashionable now to pass people into the hairpin. Yeah. And um, and it, 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 to, to have a proper run into that hairpin uh, is a very low grip braking zone. It's very, very easy to lock up. Um, I always change the brake bias when I go into there to stop locking up. And um, uh, and I think that people, it does suck you in. It does make you want to go for that move. Um, but yeah, he didn't need to. No. A bit of desperation. Yeah, he would have plenty of time to get by exactly. if he just waited, yeah. Um, yeah, but you know, we, we talk about Perez, you know, he's always behind and, and not up there with Max, but is that going to become a particular problem now when we see McLaren? Obviously, McLaren is great for him in the last... Yeah, well, this is what they have races. to worry about. At the minute, it's all good. They won the Constructors' Championship, and if Sergio finishes second in the Drivers' Championship, what more can you want for your number two driver, right? Um, but they have to. They ha there has to be some doubts coming into their head because there will be a time when Red Bull don't have a car quite as dominant as there is now. It's Formula One. You look at the rate of progression that McLaren have made from Bahrain to this year. Yeah, you know that it will change and it will ebb and flow at some point within the next twelve months. And you need to have your your rear gunner there because Max will have a bad day at some point, or the car will have a bad day. Something will happen. And you'll need someone there. Just like what we saw in Singapore. Exactly. It could happen, you know. Uh, but yeah, I mean, McLaren, I was actually talking with Matisse yesterday before we went live, and we were kind of trying to decide between the two of us, you know, where they were in Bahrain and where they are now. In terms of that level of prog progression within the team and the car, I can't actually remember a previous season where I've seen a team do this jump in, yeah. in performance. It's quite yeah. incredible it's, from them. It's remarkable. It's, it's actually incredible. I... Um, and there's not really much of an explanation for it. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's a very, very big jump. Um, obviously, there'll be a, a, a explanations in the design rooms and they will have found something out. Um, but it gives you a lot of confidence. I mean, at the start of the year, everyone was saying, oh, Lando's got to start thinking about other options because mm -hmm. McLaren is so, is so bad. Well, you have to say, since really Silverstone onwards, McLaren's kind of been in that gaggle probably second third or fourth best car with mercedes and ferrari all at different times mercedes probably a bit further back um but you know now there's a good reason to stay there and uh and if they can keep working on that philosophy and and exploit a bit more for it then it could be interesting going to next year yeah for sure it could be it could be one of the competitors to red bull next year even with the yeah absolutely and then of course i think from next year on they'll have their new wind tunnel at walking and 
So looking very good for them. It's looking very positive. And also Lando Norris ended up with the unenviable stat of the driver with the most points to never never won a Grand Prix. Now yeah, you, have to, yeah. you have to always be careful with stats like this because the point model changes very uh, you know quickly. So for example, in the eighties it was nine points for a win. And you know, then uh, historically up until recently it was only ten points for a win. Hmm. So drivers had a lot less points back then than than they do now, but it still doesn't really change the facts. Yeah. Yeah, I completely forgot about that. I was astonished when I re- when I read it mm. because I didn't realize he'd done so many races to begin with. But yeah, and if it wasn't for know. Max Verstappen, he probably would have had a few wins this year. Mm. <laughs> so. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, uh, we will talk about his teammate Oscar Piastri. Were you? Um what did you think of his performance at the weekend? I thought it was for a circuit he's never dri- driven on. It was a you know yeah. I had a phone call with a friend moment. this morning when I was uh, when I was on the way to the station and um, and we were talking about that and you know Piastri didn't finish that close to Norris, but I said to uh, I said to my friend that look Suzuka is uh, having driven there many 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 times in, in all sorts of cars. That is, for me, one of the hardest tracks that you'll ever learn because it's so narrow and it's so unforgiving. If you make one mistake there, you're in defense. Mm. And you can do as much simulator and stuff as, as you like because the difference is in the simulator. If you screw up, it doesn't hurt. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if, if you screw up in real life at Suzuka, it, it, it can go very, very wrong. Yeah. And, um, and it feels... It feels small, it feels narrow, it feels like a tunnel vision effect. And it's very, very blind as well. The elevation on TV does it absolutely no justice. When you come through the S's, you are, because of the way the walls are, firstly, you're blind on the exit of the next S's. But then at the end of the S's with Dunlop, you literally can't see the exit. So you're having to pinpoint and predict and hope that the track's still there. And it's quite difficult because where the short circuit cuts, the curb disappears and then there's just tarmac, then the curb comes Mm. back. Uh, It's very, very tricky for rookies. And um, I would say Suzuka probably takes four or five times of going round it to actually be 100% comfortable with the circuit. Um, and that's why the drivers love it, because it is such a challenge. Mm. And it's my favorite circuit in the world. I love it. Um, so to have not been there and to be relatively competitive uh, to... to um, uh, to Lando obviously not perfect in the race but through the weekend to be that close to him I think that Oscar had a very very good weekend and I think he's he is going to be a um, he's going to he's going to be a future winner there's no question about it and he's just he's he's doing himself a lot of favours at the minute yeah 100% and you see also the other big thing is the delta between him and Lando at the beginning of the season to now you know he's another driver he's made as much progress as the car's made mm. you know he's closed the gap substantially to Lando yeah. and I think the way he's gone about it this year has been really really impressive but we, we, we anyone in the industry knew he was a bit good you know mm. we all knew he was a bit special so it, it's it's really not that surprising to me yeah well uh, let's let's move down a little bit further down the grid um Mercedes, what do you think of Mercedes this weekend? Not again, not particularly. Yeah, hit, just it's hit and miss again with them, isn't it? It's hit and miss, and then obviously um, there was the um, the team order scenario with the trying to use science's DRS trick. Mm. Um, but you know, in the end, it didn't. Lewis wasn't delighted about it, but you know, most drivers will never be delighted about anything that goes against them. It's just kind of the way we're wired. Um, I, I I think that yeah, they were just a bit flat. Um, they just didn't have the speed there and Lewis said that pretty much from practice one if you actually look where Lewis went from FP1 to the race he actually yeah. made us some good progress you know yeah do you think it was a bit uh, a bit of a waste having them race each other on those early laps or <sighs> it's um, it been done differently I mean it's 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 very very tricky because you you have to remember you're dealing with uh, when you're dealing with racing drivers we all have when we're actually in the car we all have egos the size of Jupiter <laughs> and um, uh, and 
it's very very difficult and also you know thinking in the back of your head what the teams think if they try and do this it's very very difficult thing uh, because you're never as a team with team orders you're always going to have one very very angry person on the other side of it um I mean, looking at what happened with Alpine and their team orders, I don't know if you saw the onboard of Gasly at the end of the race, but he was clearly exceptionally unhappy with their yeah, team no, orders. I, did, I didn't see it, but I heard that he was, oh, it's, he was very frustrated. Yeah, with it, yeah. yeah for, uh, for like the, the three corners after the flag, there was a lot of uh, arm waving. And, you know, he definitely was very, really? very angry about it. Oh, whoa. Um, so you have to play a fine balance. So to be honest, and also as a racer, um, probably the, the, the commercial people in the marketing department and the finance department would say, nope, team orders, that's it, whole formation. But m- me being a racer, I would go, yeah, let them race. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, what do you think about Ferrari? A little bit below power considering what they were like in Singapore, but probably expected. Yeah, probably expected. Such a different yeah. circuit, right? It's mm. just, uh, it's clear, you know, they kind of knew that they weren't going to be as strong there as, uh, as they were at Singapore and that was it basically that was what they had and that was the ferrari that we saw in silverstone that was a ferrari we've seen on all these other high speed circuits um their car's just not very good at that and it's very good on street circuits that's yeah. just the way it is for them right now I, I know it was throughout the race yesterday it seemed like they were doing a usual trend of this year where they'd start high-ish and just go backwards yeah there is kind of thing yeah exactly exactly i i kind of i think for the rest of the season i mean the, the circuits you know they're probably They've probably only got one more circuit where they, you could actually, you know, thinking off the top of my head, uh, you could actually think, or possibly two with, with Mexico, um, where they're going to be very good which, with 90 degree corners and stuff is Abu Dhabi and, and, and Mexico. But Mexico is a very different one because of the altitude mm-hmm. and it's such low grip there. That's uh, I, I did the World Endurance Championship there in 2016. That place is the lowest grip circuit I've ever driven by a long way. Really? Uh, it's very, very strange. But the rest of the circuits coming up, you know, Qatar, Austin, um, Brazil's always a complete lottery in terms of a race. Every race there in every category is awesome. So God knows what will happen there. Mm. Um, but I can't, um, you know, I, I think they're just going to be where, where they are unless we get, you know, those quick quick radius 90 degree corners like we have on the street circuits. Yeah. Maybe Las Vegas will be one that's for them there. Yeah, I mean, Vegas, to be honest, I haven't actually looked that much at that layout. But, you know, Vegas, they could be strong because of the... Um, you know, obviously, the one thing we're all talking about Vegas is they've tried to make it as much as Baku, like as they can. And yeah. Ferrari were very strong in Baku, um, so maybe it will help them. The other thing with Vegas at that time of year, it can be quite warm, um, so they have proven to be good in warm races. Obviously, in uh, in Singapore, which is it's it's always absolutely roasting there. Um, so yeah, Vegas they might have a shot at it, but I think we'll have to see till we get there because that's a bit of an unknown for us. I've driven the layout on the on the PlayStation game of Vegas, and it's like it's just a straight down the strip, it's the <laughs> longest straight you could ever have. So it is, it's going to be like I can imagine three cars wide into the corner with the way they're going to be. Yeah, going to be um, slipstreaming each other down there. Yeah, it's kind of become the new model with uh, with these circuits since yeah. Baku. Basically, everyone well, once Baku came along, everybody went, "Oh, okay." Like you know, I remember when I first saw the onboard of Baku, I was like, "Oh my word, this is completely <laughs> insane." Um, but now the, the 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 trend for tracks like that is to go that way. You know, Jeddah obviously is uh, is another ballpark completely, and then you know, long straight of Vegas and everything. Um, but yeah, I think we'll, Vegas maybe they'll have a chance. As I said, Abu Dhabi possibly, and Mexico possibly. Mm-hmm. We named a good few races there. The last few the last few races we have it this year. If I was to ask you your predictions for those particular races, what do you think? Do you think well, something could happen what, somewhere? Or, well, it's obvious. Apart from the obvious. Yeah, the obvious <laughs> would be Max driving off into the distance. I think the... Uh, 
Vegas, as I said, is an unknown, so that's always an interesting one. Uh, mm. So we'll see what happens there. Um, but the other race, which I, it's always, always puts up excitement, and there's, there's a couple of tracks just have these layouts and characteristics which just always work in everything. Uh, it's Brazil, and I love that place. I mean, yeah. I, I did the World Endurance Championship race there in, uh, in 2014, and we won it. And it was the most bonkers race ever. Everybody crashed. <laughs> I mean, it was just one of those races where... Um, you know, uh, including us. So, um, you know, my team. Twenty fourteen was it? Twenty fourteen. Weber had the big. That crash, was when Weber it? had the yeah. big crash. Yeah, and you know, we were we ended up winning it, but we mm. my teammate crashed as well before I got into the car. So um, uh, it was a completely wild, wild race. Um, and I also got side potted by Emerson Fittipaldi, which I I didn't know whether to be annoyed at or quite proud <laughs> of. You know, he's a bit of a Brazilian legend. <laughs> Thankfully, sports cars are quite tough, so it didn't do any damage. Um, but it's just, and also the weather's very unpredictable there. Mm. Um, and it's just a layout which generates good racing. I always, it's always been one of my favorite races, Brazil. Yeah. I used to love it when they had Brazil as the season finale. And I think of like, you know, 20. Well, that was when, that was 2000, uh, 2007 was, um, that was when Lewis won the, uh, sorry. No, 2007, 2000, it was the finale. Raikkonen won 2008. Obviously Lewis won when That's Massa right, crossed the, the line corner, first. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's the thing on last corner overtake right for the world championship that mm. just shows you how good Brazil is and Brazil's been everywhere in the calendar it used to be second in the calendar that's after very, Australia yeah. so yeah. it's um, no it's a really it's it's one of my favourite tracks in the world yeah it's funny you know you said Brazil being second in the calendar they're going to have Japan they were saying yesterday which I forgot because when I looked at the calendar mm. I noticed it but I forgot they're going to have Japan as the fourth race of the season next year. That's going to feel strange. Yeah, that's going to feel strange, but it's also a very smart decision um, because having spent a lot of time in Japan uh, and and had many, many, many races cancelled because of various typhoons, typhoons and yeah. storms <laughs> and clouds and everything, they they do always put Suzuka in typhoon season. Mm. And, you know, I, I've had races at Suzuka cancelled at that time of year because of typhoons. Uh, so the weather still can be very dodgy when they're having it, but the chance of a typhoon is much less. And mm. we can deal with rain, but typhoons are, are pretty spectacular. Yeah. Now, what do you think about then, in the other side of the calendar, having Baku in September? Do you think that would that throw in cause any weather? or? Well, I don't really... I've never actually been to, uh, to Baku, so I can't really comment on that. Um, mm. But I think it could be an interesting one. The other thing, that part of the world at that time of the year is hot, so it could be a properly yeah, hot yeah. race. Um but yeah, I think that um, I think having Japan in, in April is just kind of a logical decision. I think was actually driven more by the fact of how many typhoons and, and rain issues we've had there over the years. Mm. Well, I was just talking about 2024. Um, what I know was actually over the weekend was with the driver, the driver movements within Formula One the minute. Let's forget about Sergeant C or let's imagine that he holds on to it for whatever reason. Mm. But there's only been one change from last year in terms of driver signings in Formula One. And that being Daniel Ricciardo being mm. back, which I find really odd. I can't yeah, remember a season all. where there's... <laughs> Especially you know, with Silly Season this year was looking like it was going to be completely wild at one mental, stage. Yeah. Um, obviously, Joe's confirmed at Alfa Romeo. Going back to the 2024 thing, Chinese Grand Prix coming back next yeah. year, which I'm sure probably had a, a big reason to do with that. Um, but as I said, I think Joe deserves it. I think he's, he's been okay. Um but yeah, it's it's very strange. But you know, Formula One things can always can always change, and it's like football. If if people want to find a way to make changes, they always find a way to make changes. Like whenever you see a player sign an eight year contract or a driver sign an eight year contract, you're like, yeah, yeah, okay. Until until someone decides that they want that driver or player and they want to leave. Mm. <laughs> Understood. 
Prime example being Piastri's twenty twenty six contract. Piastri's, yeah, exactly. We got Piastri's contract, and then uh, then Ricardo got out of his, and you know he was he's I don't know whether they paid him off or whether he's still been paid by McLaren. So. <laughs> he's been paid by McLaren and driving somebody else's yeah, car. Exactly, that's the, the way the world life. works, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we'll wrap it up there. So, um, thank you very much for joining us once again, Richard. Pleasure. And uh, yeah, guys, thank you very much for watching and, and listening wherever you are. And uh, make sure you like, comment, subscribe, do all that nice stuff first. And we'll see you again in the next one. See you there, guys. Thank you. Sports Social Podcast Network.